Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. to the lark cast we got hurricane boy back in in studio here he did not get sucked up in the tornado hurricane and get sent off to um where did dorothy get sent off to where was that it's not neverland that's peter pan that's peter pan yeah emerald city i know is like the city because it was like off in the distance I didn't know if there's like a term for like the general world that they were in. Anyways, you didn't, you didn't get sucked off to a fictional land. You're back. You're here. No, you're alive and you have power at your house. I got power. I got glittery shoes. You got a Karen Terrier named Toto. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I do have a new puppy though. We scheduled uh, my youngest Eli five has been asking for a dog forever. So we searched high and low for one that we could get for him. The dog world is expensive these days. We found yes. a killer deal, man, for a good pup and uh, had it all scheduled to pick him up and didn't realize that that scheduled pickup was the eve of Hurricane Ian. So we picked up a puppy and 12 hours later, we're hunkered down, dude. Listen to 150 mile an hour winds fly overhead. I'm glad you said that because on social media, it really honestly looked like, um, you know, a tornado hit that day and you just decided like upon hearing that news, to just go get a dog. Yeah. 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 Everybody out there, man. It's like, look, I know that the largest hurricane to hit America in hundred years just happened here in my hometown. Um, let's go grab a puppy, you know, like, why not? Yeah, that, that didn't happen. We, we we had him scheduled, and they're like, sorry that this is the pickup. We got to right. get rid of these dogs. You know, we got the next litter. And I'm like, okay. But it all worked out, man. This this dog, like, huddled up with Krista and Eli on the couch and actually slept through the storm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's sweet, man. And I know you're not one to, you know, brag and all that, so – Maybe. Maybe I'll just go ahead and, and share. It's been really cool just hearing stories of you guys um, taking the money that people have been sending you. Yeah, you've needed it personally, but you guys have been doing some really, really cool stuff for people in need, um, yeah. you know, getting supplies and, you know, heading to the van store and getting a bunch of shoes for kids that don't have. They lost everything, literally lost everything. So I know last yeah. week we were on here. We were encouraging people to give. We put Chris's Venmo in the show notes and we put some stuff out on social media and stuff. So um, I know you'd probably want to say, you know, thank you to all that, but I know it's going to some really, really cool stuff. You guys are doing some neat things. Yes. Yes. Seriously. Thank you. Um, Lots of people have lost everything. Uh, Stuff you see on the news is true. I mean, it just, it looks like a, like a nuclear bomb went off, man. Storm is pretty wild and that's coming from a, from a Florida kid, man, that's been dealing with these storms my whole life. This, this definitely uh, topped the cake, but yes, thank you for just to everybody, man, who's reached out 
people who have prayed for us, cared for us, checked on us, and even people who have sent money. We've been able to use that to help people that have lost everything. Whether it's food, water, diapers, right? Clothing. I mean, toys for kids, dude, all of it. Yeah. And of course, what's in front of us now is thinking through the stuff we've got on our own house. I got a hole in my roof and <laughs> some gutters and a shed to replace and, you know, just some a front door that's shot. Um, but yeah, God's been good. Thank you for the generosity. And if you feel led to give, amen, drop a, drop a gift and we'll put it to use. Well, you had that hole in your roof before the hurricane. So you're kind of being like the home, you're kind of being like the homeowners that my uncle used to run into when he did fire restoration. They were, their oh, this, is a, like, this is a hole I that just, came from. The- I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're like, all of a sudden you get insurance involved. You're trying to fix everything wrong with your house, whether it was part of the hurricane or not. But you know, my uncle, paint like, color ain't, paint color right. ain't driving anymore. I feel like you changed from, from the wind. Dude, he said, um, because that's what I did in high school, is right out of high school, was work for my uncle. So I have like a you know construction background, um, which means my honeydew list looks a lot different than a lot of your honeydew lists. But um yeah, he said that like once insurance showed up, they would be like just adding stuff. They're like, Oh yeah, the fire and the smoke and this and that. And they're like, Yeah, we used to have storm windows on all these windows, (laughs) storm windows everywhere. And so my uncle would go up to the, he goes, that's funny. He's like, I don't see any like screw holes, like where the storm windows would like screw into like your brick molding here. Well, I don't know what to tell you, but we had, we had storm windows and it just took them all off. <laughs> They're all gone. <laughs> Hilarious. All right. John eight. It's Read it, bro. Let's go. Fam- it's kind of famously known as uh, the woman caught in adultery. Um. It's a little bit different than than that. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's just it's just a woman caught in adultery. Like this is pre- this is a freaking crazy scene, by the way. Here in John eight, so it's eight um, one to eleven. <clears throat> so early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now remember, we're in the the festival of boots um red wing is there as a vendor wolverine is also there all the hipster brands out of portland they're all there danner's there here at the festival of boots uh it's the festival of booths (laughs) jewish thing and it's a huge deal so early in the morning he came to him again in the temple all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them scribes and pharisees aren't happy about this there was a huge freaking blow up right the last time this happened and these scribes and these pharisees are trying to ruin jesus here's their here's their latest effort to ruin jesus public ministry this is shameful dude look, look listen what these dudes do the scribes and the pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst they said to him teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So two questions I have. This woman's caught in adultery. Where's the dude? Was he just like really, like really fast, jumped out the window and ran away? 
got out of there, got out of their grips. I got an uncle that did that. Jumped out of the window and true story. The guy that caught him shot him in the ass with a pistol. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Ran to a local bar out in the middle of nowhere. The dude tracked him, made it into the bar, but didn't know who he was or what he looked like. And my uncle was sitting on a bar stool with blood dripping down his leg, hoping the dude didn't see the puddle of blood underneath him. The guy sat down, winded, drank a glass of water and then a beer, talking about his woes of his wife running out on him and what just took place and trying to find this guy. My uncle talked to him for 10 minutes. Like, bro, I hope you find that dude. And then he left. And then they stitched up a hole in his buttocks at the bar later that afternoon. They think they got the, the, the bullet out? Because that's like a whole, that's a whole oh, scene yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Sure did. True story. True story. Man. Dude. Long story you know, short. I wish you guys sometimes disappear, man. This is sad. Yes. It's, it's true. Or, or they set this woman up. That's where I'm going um, on this one. Yeah, they set this woman up. Uh, probably was one of their Pharisee buds, um, you know, scribe buds that went into this moment knowing, hey, we need to trap somebody because we need to use we need to use this woman and um, her life and her situation um, for our own personal end to get yeah. rid of this dude. So I got I got some more to say about this, but let's just say these um, religious leaders are not really good at taking care of people or yeah. caring for people. So they bring them, they bring her right into the Smiths and it's public. Everyone's around again, the whole scene kicks off with him, like doing this teaching thing and they're trying to get him tripped up. Mm-hmm. They're trying to either a get him to say something against the law of Moses so they can call him a heretic. Um, or B, agree with the law of Moses and kind of like water down this loving, gracious message that is attracting all kinds of people who know, right, that they just don't, they don't have it, man. They don't have it. And they're in need of God's mercy, God's grace, the relief, not the call to the heights of religion, but the relief of where they are in their life. So they're trying to do one of two things, ruin his influence by saying, yeah, let, let's stone this lady. Sure. Back on let's go law. Um, or they're trying to, you know, get a religious charge against him. So here's what Jesus does. Um, the brilliant, the brilliance of Jesus is that he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now we're not going to get caught up on what that might be. Cause we just don't know. And as they continue to ask him, right? So he's, uh, they're continuing to ask him. They're pressing him. Give us an answer. Give us an answer. Give us an answer. That's the the sense that I get. Um, He's bending down. He's writing something with his finger. And as they continue to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. This is a famous line. Like culturally this, like, you know, you know, stones throw, throw a stone. Dude, I even know an independent hip hop label called Stones Throw. Like this, this phrase, this scene has like definitely embedded itself into our culture. So he who is without sin be the first to cast the stone. Um, did you want to say something? Nope. Nope. Okay. 
But I do. I do. No, I know. I didn't know if you want to say something like right there. But I'm going to wait. <clears throat> so in verse 8, it says, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So maybe we can just put a pause right there. First of all, I love, I don't think this is the main thing that we want to talk about, but I love that John puts the detail in there that starting with the older ones, they all walked away one by one. Yeah. It's my, it's my favorite piece of this because you know, I'm not that old, but I'm definitely not in my twenties and thirties anymore. I'm 42. You're 44, right? Yeah. I look a lot younger than you, but a couple <laughs> years older. So I'm 42. And I think one of the, I think one of the things that comes with having a little bit of experience under your belt is dude, you've gotten your hands dirty quite a bit in life. Yeah. Marriage, having kids work. Yep. Um, you know, I've, and I've done some stuff, man, you know, and I'm very, very aware of the self-sabotaging things that I bring to the table in my marriage, um, in my family, the wounds that I'm delivering to my kids, things I do that my kids are going to have to go get counseling for later yeah. on in life. And we confess those things and we have those conversations, but it doesn't make it hurt, you know, less. And it doesn't make it less frustrating. And so I love that it says starting with the older ones, because when you get a little older, you just know, like, yeah, dude, I don't have that piss and like that piss and vinegar, that vigor that like, yeah, man, like I'm just so young and I got it all figured out. And, you yep. know, like I'm never wrong and all full of idealism and like all that. So yep. I just, I kind of love that scene just as a, you know, yeah, you're, when you're younger, man. The problem is always out there. Mm. The problem is always out there. The problem is always over there. The problem is always that person, those people. And it can be that way when you're older as well, just to be clear. But yeah, I think in this case, John sort of like unveils the fact that these guys were probably well acquainted with their own failures, their own flawed nature. Whether it was in regards to what they've actually done physically in life, or even just what they've thought and felt, which according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is the same. It's still a reflection of who you actually are. Right. And you start to let go of some of that. You know, you, you start to come, not because you wanted to, and not because you've arrived at some maturity level. And so you've decided to set these things down. It's more like, no, you've just sort of butted up head first into the wall <laughs> and felt the blow. You know what I mean? That continually comes with, yeah, what I know to do, as Paul says, I don't do. And what I know not to do, I do. Yep. That's, that's my struggle. And it sounds like the older guys were the first ones to just realize like oh man in light of what's really what really what real holiness what real obedience what what it really means to be devout okay in light of that yeah bro i ain't got it man yep and they're the first ones to drop their stones yep and they walked away and the brilliance of that um because jesus is playing into reality 
He doesn't get into a philosophical <laughs> yeah. argument with them. He doesn't get into uh-uh. a discussion about the law or the minutiae or the granule nature of things. He's like, okay, cool. So uh, she got caught in some sexual sin. Um, hey, all of you, um, if you've never sinned in this way, yeah, go ahead. Throw the first stone. Yep. It's like, oh, damn. Hold on a second. Yeah, exactly. And so hey, back to like Matthew five, where Jesus literally says, if you've even thought it, if you've right. even thought of someone in a lustful way, yeah. you've committed adultery. Right. It's like, bro, who's, who's going to stand <clears throat> on that? And so it takes a while, but eventually they all drop their stones and this big plan that they had to go ahead and trap, trap a woman. Yeah. Um, and I'm not making any kind of excuses, um, but I don't get a sense that this is they broke into a, a, a relate an adulterous relationship that was kind of brewing behind the scenes that was kind of like hidden and kept quiet. I get a sense that maybe this is probably this woman's profession. Maybe she kind of does this every day. Yeah. And they kind of set her up and thought that they could use her and exploit her for their religious ends. Yeah. And so eventually they all walk away and it's just this woman who had been publicly shamed, drug out into the public sphere, interrupted Jesus' teachings yeah. to have this big grand moment that they thought they were going to own and mic drop on Jesus and ruin all his influence and make him go away. And now she's just left in the embarrassment and standing before Jesus. Which begs the question of why would they do that? The people who are so about the law, which tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) Why would these people who are so about the law which in its, in its fulfillment says, love your neighbor as yourself. Why would they do this to their neighbor? Yep. Yeah, it, it just really reveals that it just that religious impulse, man, that, that, that insatiable desire, man, for control. It's not going anywhere. And what Jesus is sharing about what God is really like and what he's here to do and what the Messiah is accomplishing is at war with everything they've ever been able to build their platform on. And so that's being pulled out from under them. So they're looking for some way, it seems like, to justify themselves. In other words, in their unbelief of what God is like, they have to justify themselves in the name of being people who believe in what God is like. They're like the irony so thick, you can cut it with a knife. Yeah. And so they have to... They're, I think that's why they set this whole thing into motion is that, man, if we can undo what it is that he's saying, we can feel in control again. We can be important again. We can find the prominence that comes with our lineage, our heritage, our race, right? Um, our, our moral and ethical, right? Pursuits. We can stand on this again. We can point to the to the owner of the Phoenix Suns and say, you don't deserve to be in, to be human, to be a, to, to be a part anymore, but we do. Yeah. And it's just like, 
it's just a it's just a mirage man yeah it's it's a mirage of of faithful obedience that's actually nothing other than a lack of of a lack of faith at all right in what god is like in complete disobedience to what he's actually about yeah and yet it sells like hotcakes bro that's what's crazy right this kind of kind of just control manipulation go ahead yeah no i i was kind of coming at it from a different angle when i was looking at this i was like man like they're just so fine and okay with exploiting and using this woman um so in their effort to try to trip him up and like break like try to get him in this law-breaking moment they literally are just embarrassing a woman in public and are just okay with like stoning her to death to death for what they themselves are guilty of right yeah exactly and so the religious the religious blindness but i think too just how this woman was nothing to them a pawn a piece if it's a chess game right it's that it's a pawn to move over here in the bigger you know game to try to get rid of jesus they're already plotting his murder and you're so blatantly breaking the law in an effort to try to expose another dude in breaking the law. Mm. So the blindness for sure. But I, but that whole thing of like using people in a very smaller scale, I just thought about like my time, you know, on staff at, um, you know, on staff at churches and you just got this like big thing going on, this big, massive thing centered around primarily a sermon, right? And you had key figureheads like at the center of this thing and like all this like volunteerism and the pressure of that and like inviting people to volunteer and tagging spiritual maturity and true genuine discipleship into volunteerism, even the pressure and the commons of staff people saying, like, you know, the first question, the first conversation they're having to walk through the doors is just trying to get them to plug in. What they mean by that is like, just give us all your time get it into this thing and then you would just watch people burn out and shift and move and like walk away from the faith altogether because they just were just used they were used yeah and it's such a smaller scale and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to equate like stoning a woman with um you know just exhausting someone with a volunteer schedule but dude i i know that when in an in a religious effort to really try to accomplish something be somebody and maintain a status people become very very exploitable and very usable yeah yeah Yeah. and what's funny is the entire heart of god even in the law is to love neighbor and here's what's what's crazy. And if you're new to the Lark podcast, I would invite you to go back and check out the beginning of this podcast where we walk through the parables of Jesus, because I think we get into this a lot. But the um, to to truly love God, to walk in the things that are of God, it seems like is it's not an increased effort. It's not something that you double down on and really get serious about. When it's actually of the Spirit. According to the scriptures, 
it's something that you're not as serious about. It's something that takes less effort. When you go back and study like Catholicism at its roots, you start to see some of this doctrine around the idea that the more effort you put into something, the more moral it was. Okay, so your effort almost validated um, the morality by which was on display through your actions. But again, looking at the scriptures, it seems like the spirit bears the fruit of his presence in and through us. And it's something that happens without our knowing, without our cooperation, without our getting serious about it. It's the moments of, of not even thinking about something, but just helping. It's the moments of not contemplating something, but just giving that seem to be the most in tune with what the spirit of God's actually doing. So I would, I would say that it's the less effort that went into something to me would be the greater indicator of if the spirit's really at work here. Mm. And it seems that within the church world, it's always like opposite of that. And yeah. so as a church leader for 15 years, man, I was definitely trained to see nickels and noses. How many nickels and noses you counted on Sunday? was the indicator of your success. It was the indicator of God's faithfulness on you. It was the indicator yeah. of your faithfulness. Yep. And so you couldn't help but see people as projects to manipulate. Right. Toward that end. Yeah. And there's a level of control that seems to come from that, which mm -hmm. I think ultimately is what we're after because we don't want to deal with the anxiety that comes with. Yeah. Truthfully, I'm not this. Mm which to me ties right back into this crowd. This crowd is hearing what Jesus is saying. And internally, there's probably an anxiety that's going on, an insecurity that's going on, caused by their religion that's revealing, yeah, I'm not holy in regards to what holiness actually is. Right. Let me use this person to justify myself. And let me use this situation to justify our cause. Yeah. Yep. And Jesus is like, just seems to be able to pick up on that right from the get go and say, yep. okay, here we go. Yep. And so the, the most beautiful part of this scene is this moment that they share together. And it just so beautifully ties into everything that we've been saying, you know, from the beginning. Um, and even what John's been saying. And so here in verse 10, um, the woman's left alone in verse nine, the woman standing before him and Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you go. And from now on sin, no more. So here was a whole angry mob looking to condemn her. And Jesus with just a few words and a low, little writing in the sand sent the whole crowd away. Yeah. He literally pushes away the condemnation from others. He deters it, sends it away, right? So it's just, it's, it's, it's his heart, his mission, everything is on full display here in this like beautiful scene. All the condemnation coming at this woman, as legit as it is, as real as it is, did she break the law? Absolutely. Is she a sinner? Absolutely. Is she caught? Absolutely. Yep. Is she exposed? Absolutely. This is our biggest fear as human beings to be exposed. 
to be publicly exposed. Yep. Dude, you have people scrubbing their social media right now, right? Is there anything in my past that can get me canceled? <laughs> Is there anything I've done? I mean, you go back to House of Cards, you know, politically, so sad, you know, like man. it's just like, Part of it is like, all right, what do you have in your background that can be used? We got to get rid of this. We got to hide this, yeah. like all that. We hate to be exposed. Yeah. And so public exposure is at hand, literally, for yes. this woman. And the first wave of it is from the world, from other people, from other humans. And Jesus, with just like shutting the mouth of everyone, like Paul does in Romans 2, the law is not meant to be this thing that we like, you know, use to climb the ladder. It's actually meant to do what he, he used it for here to shut their mouths, to send them away. We're all guilty. Yeah. So now she's standing before God and he goes, where's everyone that condemns you? Are they here? No. And he says, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. Because the son was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Yeah. John three, John six, right? Five. Keep going. Uh, yeah, man. It's uh, I think for many of us, we've, we've been taught, we've been trained. We've been brought up in this idea that public exposure is the end of you. Yeah. And what Jesus is revealing is that public exposure is actually the beginning of you. It's when you come face to face with your frailty, with your flawed nature, with your failure, that you see a God that, number one, recognizes it, which no one else does. Please, we got to be clear about this. No one else in the world, no other group or tribe or missional whatever, you know what I mean, is able to recognize and redeem your failures. Jesus does. He fully recognizes it and fully redeems it, period. So public exposure is not the end of you. It's actually the beginning. And it's in that that you realize that life actually comes from death. That moving forward comes from letting go. That growing and what it means to really live in dependence on Jesus comes from giving up, not getting better. And there's just something really beautiful about that. And I think she comes face to face with that. So he doesn't condemn her, as you says. Um, but, you know, just to make this known, like, uh, you know, and I know we've talked about this in Reclaim. I think it's chapter four, maybe. Maybe, maybe it's five. But she comes face to face with a grace that she cannot grasp and a command that she cannot keep. And they happen simultaneously. So he's saying, I condemn you not. Because I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. The law's already condemned you. You're already guilty. You already know this. He doesn't say it's okay to go live in adultery. You should pursue that. There's so much harmony to be found from it. You know, it's like, no, no, no. No, yeah. this isn't good. And you already know it. And the law's already condemned you of it. So I don't condemn you. What I do is say that you're loved and you belong and you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. And I think it's in that moment where she receives the grace that she can't grasp, but also receives a command she can't keep because she's face to face with the reality like me and you do that. If you take what Jesus says in Matthew five about adultery, that if you've even thought it, you're guilty. You know, it's one of those well, things. He just where sent like, a whole crew of people away who were dead set with like, 
like red in their eyes. Oh yeah, they know the ALs ain't a chance, bro. So they've bowed out. What but I'm saying is her, like we're something... all we've all entered a realm here in this conversation where everyone's guilty. So yes. to say, like, well, don't sin in this, he might be saying, Well, don't sin in this way anymore. Like, don't be, you know, maybe don't be a woman of the night, don't be a prostitute, don't commit adultery anymore, or whatever. Yep. But don't like don't sin sexually ever. Don't yeah. ever sin again. Yeah. And I, I just personally feel like this is one of those stories and we see more of them later on in Jesus's ministry where he's driving a reality that he does not condemn. He forgives. He recognizes and redeems. He forgives. That's what the Messiah is here to do. To believe this, to trust in this, is to live the life of grace. Mm-hmm. I think he's driving home that reality, but he's, but he's doing it in a way that drives her to an understanding of what the Messiah actually is. Mm-hmm. she's not going to leave here going sweet i got off get out of jail free card love right. it mm-hmm. uh i'm going to keep leaning on jesus as a means of like getting it together as i move forward in life it's almost like he's going no 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 i'm driving you to a reality that you understand this grace but i'm also hoping you see that there is no life apart from me to go and sin no more is not possible. You need a savior. Yeah. That you'll live in who doesn't sin no more. Not just a guide who says, don't go sin no more. Yeah. The guide hasn't worked, never has, never will. The savior does. I don't necessarily want to get into it like right now, because I think the next episode is going to be a good one to get into it. Because when John uses sin in his gospel, he primarily first and foremost means yes. the sin of unbelief. And so like he has the same thing with the guy who take up, you know, your mat, which is the whole like background of this beef in this conversation in chapter six and seven is when Jesus on the Sabbath heals this dude. And he says the same thing, same thing to him there too, is, um, you know, go and sin no more. Um, and so we'll get into it maybe in the next episode, but I think this scene is important because we are this woman, all of us. Yeah. How Jesus handles this woman is the question of how will Jesus handle us? Because maybe it's not going to be a public exposure like this. Maybe your enemies of your, the enemies of somebody you don't know are going to exploit and use you to break, drag you to the center of some mess where your, you know, tax records are exposed or like some social media post that you had back when you were in junior high is now right front and center, right? Just so like yep. somebody can make a point about some CEO or, or something like that. But we all know like this woman, we are exposed yep. and we got, we got shit, man. We got shit in our lives. All of us do everybody. Yep. No one's squeaky clean. Our hands are all dirty. Um, when it comes to the letter of the law, the minutia and the granule nature of it, we are exposed. Mm-hmm. And how does God treat us? He sees that. He knows that. He knows us piercingly. Like with eyes that see through into the intentions of our hearts. Mm-hmm. That, ex- that makes all of our good deeds problematic. All the things that we've even done that appear to be good 
in the end were for us. Yeah, dude, I've done things thing. for me to assuage my own guilt or man, I've done things where it's like, man, this person um, kind of seems like they're they're mad at me. I'm going to do this like really cool thing. I'm going to make this really cool move over here just so I could feel better about myself, about yeah. how they feel about me. Right. And so it's like this nice gesture of friendship or, hey, let's do this just so I can you know, have someone, you know, I could, I could feel good about them feeling good about, dude, we are so twisted and broken through and through all of us. And the question of how Jesus deals with this woman is the question of how Jesus deals with me and you on this podcast and everybody who is tuning into this thing that's coming through the speakers right now. And Russ and I are here to say, dude, if you are listening to this, yep. If you are putting yourself in the scene, if you know, if you know you're a broken person, frail, foolish, and flawed, that Jesus looks us dead in the eye, knowing us piercingly, he looks us dead in the eye and says, no condemnation. Yeah, maybe not. It does. I a, I'll just let me close with this. I had a Christian leader recently reach out and talk to me about his fear of his past getting found out in light of like all the reasons why people are, you know, a, a code word that's out there deconstructing from the faith. And he said, man, according to all the research out there, people are deconstructing because of politics, like how Christians are, are, are entangled in like this Christian nationalism and politics they're deconstructing because of how Christians have viewed, you know, sexuality and all the conversations in and around that patriarchy, racism, climate change, the cultural wars, their flawed character and their ability to really keep all these things that are true and of God. That's why people are deconstructing, man. And if people dig into my past, they're going to find where I haven't, I, I didn't, I didn't veer man on the right side of everything that people are thinking today. So I'm a little nervous. And I said, man, the good news for you is Christianity isn't about any of those things. Because Christianity is not a religion. It's the end of religion. It's not about your morals. It's not about your imaginary ethics that you think you're keeping. Like this crowd that's with Jesus that thought they were keeping it. And so they came face to face with the reality that, yeah, you know that thing you're pointing at other people about? Yeah, you suck ass at it too. <laughs> Stop kidding yourself. Exactly. Christianity is about one and one thing only forgiveness. The God who looks at us in the eye, like you just said, and says, forgiven. I condemn you not. Because you know, we're all equally broken. Mm -hmm. And what's in front of us is a life of grace, a life of faith in the grace that says, yes, broken, but loved, whole, home, and free because of me. Jesus, period. That's the good news, dude. You have nothing to be afraid of, man. Yeah. That's it. So to that, I say... <laughs>